So, hey everybody, welcome to the Awkwardly Big Dice podcast, episode number four now. Um, celebrations, yay! Um, this week we've got a few topics to talk about as usual, going for the similar sort of runtime as last week, as long as that's okay with my co-host. Um, over okay. an, an hour and a half. But introduce myself again, as I do every week, I am... Dan, the host, and my co-host with me, as always, is Rob. <laughs> Big waves. Big waves. No so we've got a few things, as I said, we're going to talk about. Hopefully get to the topic that we have been putting off for every week so far. So for a <laughs> month, basically. Um, we'll we'll t- Hopefully we'll talk about it this time. And we'll be covering our usual topics uh, as well like spells and monsters uh, I have looked at some of the news for D&D uh, I know there is new like Unearthed Arcana Unearthed Arcana out and there's all this stuff that they're playtesting uh, and I just haven't read it I'll be honest <laughs> <laughs> I've been busy doing other things well, you're still a step ahead of me because I didn't even know there was any new stuff out. Uh, I know they've got a new, uh, there's a new adventure coming out with um, there's like a, another fan Fandelver thing. It looks like it's almost a um, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but they've got the new campaign uh, adventure coming out. Looks like it's something to do with mind flares, but mind flares are pretty big, also it makes sense for them to to do that. Um. But yes, I haven't looked at the Unearthed Arcana because I've been preparing for my own D&D campaign, uh, putting stuff together for that, and um, doing things for for our YouTube channel, put together shorts, and I've been uh, playing Baldur's Gate 3, of course, as all D&D fans, I'm sure, are currently, or at least a good portion of them, of them are. I'm at 100 hours now. <laughs> no, I think in total, if you add all my hours up, I'm at 70 something. But because I started again, uh, I won't. I'm at. I don't know. Oh, I don't, must be more than that now. I was at something like 17. But like, I'm be, I'll be more than that now. Yeah, fair. Fair, fair, fair. I've been doing this because I've been doing things a little different this time. But we won't talk about Borders Gate 3. We've talked about it before. We'll cover it more once we have played. Played, both hopefully played it through at least one of us has played it through and the other one can can still have some sort of input but we'll start off with our our topic of the week which is uh, spells of the week be the first one we'll start with and I feel like we should roll dice or something to decide who goes first because I always just like throw it on you to go first um but I don't have I've any dice. dice right here Even as is where I play D and D, I don't have any dice uh, next to me um, to be able to have like rollies or something. But it is definitely a plan we should do for next week. Um, but we'll start with the one uh, that's in front of my screen. It's the first one I have loaded up, which is yours. So you'd like to introduce to our audience what your spell of the week is? Yes. So my spell of the week. This week is it's a, on a lower level spell this time, only second level, which means you can have access to it from character level three onwards uh, if you are the correct class to get it. And it's um, 
it's what I would call a utility spell because uh, it's very impactful, but not really in combat. It's not a combat spell. Uh, so one of my favourite spells is Pass Without Trace. Now, we have a lot of instances in D&D. Uh, in every campaign I've ever played in, there's been plenty of times where the player whole group, uh, the player characters, have all wanted to sneak somewhere. Sometimes more than others. Uh, sometimes there are chapters in a campaign where it might be more prevalent to sneak around a lot rather than just uh, doing it the old-fashioned murder hobo way and going in guns blazing. But what this spell will do it is a concentration spell. It's a single action to cast and it lasts for a full hour. So that's plenty of time. It's not like a concentration spell for combat that lasts you just one minute or ten minutes. It's a, it's a nice long spell. And it will give everybody in your party that is within 30 feet of you, assuming you're the person that has cast the spell, uh, a plus 10 bonus to dexterity stealth checks. Your party also cannot be tracked except by magical means, which there are a few ways to do, like Hunter's Mark or you more like scrying type spells. And uh, a creature receives that bonus, leaves behind no tracks, or other traces of its passage. So no footprints in the snow or the sand or the mud or whatever you want to traverse. Uh, there will be no evidence that you were even there. Uh, so it's it's really, it's a fantastic spell because what you tend to find in a group is there's typically one person that will wear heavy armor. Yes. At least, at least one. At least one, yes. At least yeah. one. And we need I those always... players too. We don't talk down to those players. We need those characters too. Yeah, play, play characters are welcome at any point. A nice uh, full plate, 18 AC, 20 with a shield. We like that. Hard to hit, hard to take down. Very loud, walking around, covered in pots and pans, as I always say. <laughs> Sounding like uh, someone rattling a bag of spanners. <laughs> or uh, There's, there's so Carry many different ways. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the janitor with about twenty keys on a on a keyring. <laughs> uh, all the loud, jangly, metallic noises as you can imagine, um, which puts you at a disadvantage on rolling stealth checks for that character. And if you're all sneaking as a as a group check, uh, then that's going to make it uh, a lower average total. Um, it's going to mean that there's somebody letting the side down, so to say. In other words, they're just disadvantaged. Um, this really helps cover that weakness. You'll typically find it'll help the players with disadvantage and probably a low dex as well, at least reach somewhat of a normal amount. Uh, and then it'll really help your stealthy characters, your dex characters, yes. your rogues, your monks, your rangers, really uh, reach astronomical numbers. Um, I think the highest I've seen without trying to make a build to really maximize it is just, you know, like a sneaking rogue or something like that, is someone receiving a a result in the low 40s mm -hmm. on uh, on almost a natural 20. Right, and yeah. I've never seen a passive perception above that. No, I don't think I've seen a passive perception near that. And I, 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 you'd struggle to get a, an active uh, perception check to even equal that. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not a spell, realistically, that's meant for your rogues, right? It's not meant for those guys, or your, or I suppose your monks, depending on the type of monk and the, the build. Um, it's really meant to um, help with group checks, group 
stealth checks uh, to cover that average and to hopefully help your your chainmail be less jingly. I suppose is a way to look at it. Yeah. Um, it is obviously one that comes generally from your druids and your and your rangers, but I do think, yeah, uh, trickier domain clerics uh, also also do get it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, your rangers will get it a little bit later because they get access to spells at a slower rate, mm. being a half caster. Um, but if you have a druid in the party, or like we've just said, uh, there's a trickery domain uh, cleric. Um, they'll get it at level three, which is you know nice and low. Mm-hmm. It really, really helps. I have seen sometimes groups get a little bit too dependent on it. There are weaknesses still. Uh, if you have an enemy with detect thoughts, they can feel your minds anytime. Like we, like the spell says, they can still be tracked with magical means, and there are mm-hmm. ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if if you're just sneaking around guards, um, other such things, other creatures that might act as guards, not necessarily just humans in, in you know soldiers guarding things or anything like that, uh, then it's really really good. Sometimes you just have to be, um, I suppose, a little still apply common sense to it it doesn't allow you to walk in plain sight right in front of somebody's no. face i always would have ruled that they'd still see you if you stand in the middle it's of the stealth. road it's not, you're, you're not gonna <laughs> it's ask not somebody to do a stealth check if they're just walking casually down the street no yeah you still have to have to be sneaking um it's not invisibility but it means that yeah you can have a really easy time of it and i think a really good example is Going back to the end of, of your campaign down when we were in Nuri and we were approaching uh, the, was it, was it a town? I think it was really a town called Ashley. Yes, it was uh, a, like a large village, small town, yeah. Yeah, a very large open space, but mm. with lots of buildings and stuff to kind of move between and around. Uh, it had been overtaken by a small army of devils uh, and cultists and various things. And uh, if if our party would have walked in guns blazing, as this, as the term often is, even though you don't typically have guns in D and D, walked in in clear sight, ready to start a fight, we would have gotten obliterated. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> what type of devil was it that was flying around? Was it horned? Or was uh, it... We had a horned devil that flew around. Uh, there were imps that were kind of more localized or uh, smaller area. Um, imps felt like the surveillance. Yeah, and there were some spined devils as well that would do more long-range um, yeah. surveil- um, like scouting. And then I think in and about there was also some slightly higher stuff as well. Like you know, there was a couple of chain devils here and there. And stuff yeah, there like was that. there was a couple of chain devils. There was a bone devil somewhere. Again, they've got wings, I believe, bone devils, so they could fly. Yeah. Um, but it was a horn devil was the main sort of. Yeah, bat-like winged entity that was flying over the over the town. It was really good as well because we we knew we were dependent on this spell, good sneaking. Madame Ayers Narakis would cast invisibility on myself, which we did comment on in another video where we were talking about how it's not something you typically expect your artificer to be the one that would be doing the scouting, but that was just simply the group dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, Pass without trace meant that we could actually have a bit of a covert operation, get in and around to the buildings that we needed to 
um, have smaller uh, self-contained fights that weren't overwhelming mm-hmm. um, and effectively disappear uh, without a trace uh, uh, once we had, uh, <laughs> once we had uh, achieved our goal <laughs> uh, <coughs> me, um, rescued people that we needed to rescue um, but the tension was still there uh, it was really good for that so it's yeah definitely one of my favourite spells but I imagine as a DM it could also get quite vexing if the uh, the group relied on it too much and I think the temptation would have been there to start putting in things to mitigate that uh, yeah. Yeah. There in is... a yeah, I think if it gets excessive, you and I built it, and I knew how you guys were. We it was the end game, wasn't it, of of the campaign? I knew generally how you guys operate. I knew that you were going to go in quietly. You're going to look to stay stealthy. So I built the entire thing kind of with that in mind. Um, obviously you could have done it another way. I was never going to say no. You can't do it another way. And I would have managed and would have improved and would have rolled. But I had planned it kind of with the idea that you would do that. But had it been you know, another point when it had become a bit excessive, yeah, it would have thrown in a number of divination spells to to track you guys. Um, but there's no, there was no there was no need for it. Like it doesn't, and it, and again, like it, it kind of you want the players to feel powerful. You want to feel successful, yeah. and you want to feel like they are uh, achieving something. And you're only going to ruin that by trying to counter their their spells all the time even with literal counter spells sometimes i think countering um yeah countering mechanics is something that you have to do in the right way um so do it with don't just do it with enemies that you wouldn't expect to be able to do it at the first opportunity like let i know it's kind of branching off into a bit more of, of dm advice but you know, let your players feel powerful for a while, um, and only allow those mechanics to be defeated or countered uh, when the situation has enough gravitas. Like with Strad, for example, you know, coming over yeah. and getting someone to cast a spell on a, a certain thing, or um, something along those lines. I agree. I think. <laughs> no, I do. Uh, but yes, Pass Without a Trace, I think even when I played a Ranger, which was only for like, what we did, a two shot, one shot, one shot, wasn't it? One shot, wasn't it? One shot, two shot. Some, yeah, some shot. Kind of like the second part that you did, like a part two, I played as a different character. Um, my vampire, yeah, oh, Dampier yeah. um, Ranger. It was fun mechanically to play as, and I. but even though I was like, ah, probably not going to need this. But it's always a good shot to take pass without a trace. Like, I don't know what's coming. We might want to sneak. Um, I, did we even even end up using it? I feel like when we were in that, we were in like that, like, astral misty place, but I don't think we ended up, like, needing it. You did use it. Did I use you it? You used it in um, was it the there? world that was made of the Acidicus. Yeah, sure I'm thinking misty for some reason, but yes, you're right, it was all ooze giant you had to tunnel through the acidic like the world the entire yeah. giant acidic ooze. yeah that's the place i'm thinking of i'm just the reason i'm seeing it in my head is as misty and i don't know why was that just the map i don't remember i don't remember um it was difficult to draw on a map because it was essentially a massive world of jello yeah how do you so... <laughs> how, how do you uh how do you turn that into 
I think I did use the clouds and stuff on on Incarnate, but per- made them purple and green and stuff. Mm. Uh, but and then used some water textures as well. And yeah, that would have been but, hard to do. It was quite. It was, I think it, the picture worked, but like it worked. It needed it worked. explaining. But yes, that's where I'm yeah. thinking I might have used it, and I think you're right. I think I did. Great well, spell. You, you certainly um, got through that screen easily. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was a good use of the spell. Um, but yeah, I think that's us waffling about pass without a trace. Certainly enough. What's your spell? <laughs> My spell of the week is uh, well, it starts with a word that uh, is a name that's hard to pronounce. So we're just gonna go with what I think it's pronounced as, and that is uh, Ralphim's psychic lance, or as I'm just going to call it for the sake of this podcast, psychic lance. Yeah. Uh, it is uh, a spell that I have seen used a couple of times in the Curse of Strahd, and I liked the sound of it, and it seemed really cool. And uh, I also like that it's available to a good number of different classes, including the Bard, the Sorcerer, the Warlock, and the Wizard. Um, it's all your arcane casters, basically. Um, and it was very useful when we had to fight the BBEG and our bard could whip it out and we know what bards are like, they love to whip it out um, <laughs> but in this case we're talking about Psychic Lance to describe it it's basically a spell that involves an intelligence saving throw which is great because very few things have great intelligence. There are a few, if you're, you know, maybe in the Curse of Strahd, there might be some individuals there that w- their intelligence is, is a big thing. Um, yeah. But on a, on a failed intelligence saving throw, uh, the target, which has to be seen, though, if you don't see them, but you know their name, and they're within the 120 foot, 120 foot range, and you know their yeah. name, you don't actually need to see them. But if they fail the save, and you can see them, or they're in the range, uh, they take a 7d6 psychic damage. Again, great psychic damage. Like, how rarely that is resisted. It makes it a great spell. It's the second least resisted. I yeah, think the force, I think the force just, tips it. just tops it, I think, yeah. Uh, and then, also really importantly, with the effect of this spell, is that the if, you, if they failed the spell uh, save, they are incapacitated. Until the start of your next turn. Yeah. On a, so, on a successful save, it's half damage and they're not incapacitated. But they're inca- incapacitating your enemy, much like the monk's stunning strike, which stunning is not too different from incapacitated if we're being, you know, honest about not it. Not too different. But it's a great thing because you're just taking them out of, out of the initiative for a round. I think. Um... Incapacitated as a as a word doesn't necessarily cover. If you really want to be a rules lawyer, incapacitated mm. is a bit of a strange condition. Um, just simply put, reading it rules as written on D and D Beyond, an incapacitated creature can't take actions or reactions. No. So the uh, I suppose the the rules lawyer would say, does that mean they can take bonus actions and still move? Um, or does that mean they can take legendary actions? Um, 
I think in the end, I ended up probably buffing the condition a little bit and just saying they can't really do much of anything because uh, it felt really like they should have been skewered to the ground by a giant psychic lance mm-hmm. or somehow if the lance wasn't physical but somehow like have a you still have the sensation of your entire brain being penetrated by an extremely large sharp object it would be curious uh, to see the official i don't know if uh, jeremy croft has done an official response to incapacitated in the past with um, I don't sage know. advice, I've never looked on it. I never um, either. Because really, incapacitated sounds like you're you're taking someone out, and they shouldn't really be able to move. But it doesn't say they can't move. Yeah. So yeah. technically, yeah, they you. I would say maybe they stumble around, but if you're incapacitated by the you know the the word itself, mm. then uh, maybe they should just use a different word to describe that. Um. Because if you compare it to what, like, stunned? Stunned includes incapacitated, right? So if you are stunned, yeah. you are also incapacitated, and you can't move, and you can only speak falteringly. Um, yeah. So that does define, like, you cannot move, whereas incapacitated doesn't cover move. So technically, as you said, as a rules lawyer, you can move. I wouldn't say you take bonus action. I think action covers that. Yeah, and I, I would sweep it that way. Yeah, and there's, I mean, depending on your preference for how you phrase it, um, it could be called a move action as well. You say, "Oh, you can't move," <laughs> but most people don't. So, um, however, yeah. it is still an insanely strong oh. effect to apply to a single big target like a boss um like strat for example or whoever else whatever else large target large boss target you might be fighting just make sure that they're not immune to those conditions um and i think one of the things that i actually really like about this spell so i've discussed psychic damage spells already before i mm-hmm. think the, th- the first week where i said synaptic static was mm-hmm. probably my favorite spell um that has a weakness that if you're trying to do it to something that essentially is too stupid um, and has too low of an intelligence or isn't sentient enough, I suppose, is probably the real meaning behind mm-hmm. the, that. Uh, it, it just doesn't affect them. Yeah. Uh, and Fame's Psychic Lance is not held back. By no, it is not. It does not have any uh, ruling or statement that says it doesn't affect anything with x amount of intelligence or less uh so you just straight doing a, a spell that is almost as powerful as a fireball which is a pretty kind of baseline level of strong spell uh because yeah, fireball is d6 damage this is 76 <laughs> and uh it does buff if you uh upcast it so you'll be doing more uh an extra d6 for every level you upcast it from as well which i always like to see um and obviously, if you incapacitate the the single big bad guy that you're fighting against, everybody is going to kind of get a free turn against them. Um, people that are on low health can move in and attack and move away without worry of a of a reaction at every attack. Or um, you know, people can can go in and just start swinging, um, which is pretty much what happened against uh, 
a certain end boss. <laughs> I was giving a shout because our uh, our bard loved a spell. I almost I almost took this week. It was between the two. It's almost like I wanted to shout <laughs> at our bard, uh, our, our buddy Chris, this week, but instead uh, I went for the one he he wasn't known for. Uh, uh, I went for the one that he used to kind of win the day. He did. I mean, not not that his go-to favourite of Shatter didn't win the day on a few occasions, or at least uh, earn him a, a strong nickname. Or uh, <laughs> Duncan's Wolfsbane. Duncan Wolfsbane, yeah. Legend in the Barovia. Um, Especially amongst the elderly ladies. Yes, so yeah, also a, a typical bar fashion was a ladiesman, but his was old ladies. Old old, old ladiesman. He had a refined taste, a refined palate, did our bard. Um, but Bless. I do, I, I... It's probably one of the reasons I quite like bards, is a lot of their spells are kind of... In that sort of uh, psychic damage sort of um, school, that it definitely a puts me in my. Type? I don't know what you call it. Uh, yeah, damage type. Damage type. Just yeah. probably call it. Um, yeah, I think psychic damage is one of those where there's a few things you can kind of imagine doing it. Warlocks uh, of a certain type, mm-hmm. great old one warlocks typically you see doing a lot of psychic stuff. Um, although I. Any, any warlock can learn this spell. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels a little bit more on theme for that particular yeah. type of warlock. A barren mind uh, sorcerer is, again, nice flavor, but any sorcerer can learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't really any kind of psionic-style wizards, is there? No, not really. I definitely would have used it with uh, Emmerich, my, and he was div- school divination. I think yeah. um, it was something I... I considered did i have do we have fourth level i think we did did we have fourth level? i think you, I think I think you used did. it once but i don't think i ever used it because i think i knew that chris had taken it with with duncan his bard so i was like i will let him have psychic lance and i will choose something else i also wasn't i i like to choose divination spells um you did. before anything else and i like i like to keep things on theme even my spells, even to the detriment of the entire party, I do like to um, <laughs> make my spells Rule of cool. have theme. Rule of cool, sure. And I also like, as we've said before, with wizards, you have so many, so so many spells, but a lot of spells are, are not combat based, or they're more outside combat utility spells, and I like to choose those as well because he was a he was a private investigator, so. Lots of divination spells that are useful for that. May he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. After he had his skull smashed in with his own, his own fake leg. <laughs> by a member of his own party. Under the charm of... Which we might come to later. later. <laughs> we might certain, come to later. It's a good point. Certain topic. Uh, yeah. For that certain topic we get to. Which therefore means we should move on to topic number two. And move on to Monster of the Week. Well, I went first with the spells, so I'll go first again with this. We'll leapfrog each other, as it were. Nice. A creature that I have had fun using 
Um, you'll probably notice a theme with me. I like creatures that have a good theme or narrative or lots and lots of uh, lore, uh, especially ones that you can manipulate as a DM and help to suit a situation. Um, and for that reason, this week, my favourite monster is the Revenant, or one of my favourites. A Revenant uh, forms from the soul of a mortal who met a cruel and an undeserving fate. It claws its way back into the world to seek revenge against the one who wronged it. The Revenant reclaims its mortal body uh, and superficially resembles a zombie. However, instead of a lifeless eyes, a Revenant's eyes brim with the resolve and flair in the presence of its adversary. If the Revenant's original body was destroyed, or it's otherwise unavailable, the spirit of the Revenant enters another humanoid corpse. Regardless of the body the Revenant uses as a vessel, its adversary always recognises the Revenant for what it truly is. <laughs> so it follows a, a kind of a, an age-old theme of the angry spirit, <clears throat> although this one take, uh, it possesses a, a, mm -hmm. a dead body as well as its tool of vengeance. Um, they're good middling difficulty, uh, challenge rating 5, um, 136 HP as the set number, but if you want to roll it, uh, it can still go quite a bit higher, 16 D8 plus 64. Normal movement, pretty low armor class, they've got a lot of HP, but they're kind of easy to hit because they are still just zombies, kind of, you know, super-powered zombies. <laughs> with a, evolved zombies. Yeah, angry AF zombies. <clears throat> Um, armor class 13, pretty good stats across the board, um, except for intelligence being a little low, um, and very standard resistances and immunities that would fit a lot of undead sort of things, so resistance to uh, necrotic, and resistance to psychic as well, as we've already discussed, that's quite rare. It is quite um, rare. Immune to poison damage. Um, of course. Condition immunities, charmed, exhausted, frightened, paralyzed, poisoned, and stunned. Um, dark vision, 60 feet. A lot of uh, other nice rules. So it mm -hmm. regenerates 10 hit points at the start of its turn, unless it takes fire or radiant damage. You tend to find the regeneration ability typically has something that turns yeah. it off, like fire or radiant damage. Um, it rejuvenates. And this is why I like it. It keeps coming back when you kill mm -hmm. it. The Revenant's body is destroyed. Its soul lingers. After 24 hours, the soul inhabits and animates another humanoid corpse on the same plane of existence, regains all its hit points. While the soul is bodiless, a wish spell, again, we've talked about how rare those are, uh, can be used to force the soul to go to the afterlife and not return. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a good, persistent bad guy, um, especially if you have a group of players that are a little chaotic. Maybe they kill an NPC that didn't really deserve it. Um, I mean, I'm say, like... We have fought it, and we it deserved to die. <laughs> oh, I'm not. Oh, that wasn't a comment on, uh, know, on the Revenant. I know. Guide. Still, uh, it, deser it deserved. He deserved to die. <laughs> he died, but he was very. He was a very angry person. Mm -hmm. 
Was he overflowing uh, with hatred? Was he? Is he from the book? Is it a spoiler to talk about? Is that a thing that should happen to him, or is that something you invented? No, it's not. It's not. Um, so the reason I did what I did is, um, <laughs> funnily enough, if James is watching, uh, I know he's used Revenants this way, or at least in a similar way. Um, on the random encounter chart, you can if on on Conquest of Strad, if you get a random encounter, and I think if it's through the day, I might be wrong. It might have to be night time. But one of the worst ones you can roll on a twenty is a revenant. <clears throat> so even if you set foot in Barovia as a set of level ones, a revenant can turn up. But I didn't like that because that takes the story out of the revenant, mm-hmm. which is a big like, part of it. It's... Yeah. So I I wanted I didn't I would never have used that until you guys had a chance to create the revenant. Um, so when you killed uh, the NPC that you killed, one of Strad's uh, minions, mm-hmm. uh, a rather hateful and angry uh, minion, um, he was always going to want to seek vengeance. Um, so it was it was a good opportunity, uh, and the, the Revenant has a lot of useful tricks at its disposal. So it comes back when you kill it, unless you've got a wish spell handy. Uh, it's immune to turn undead, um, which is something clerics and paladins can do. <laughs> it's uh, It's got an ability called the Vengeful Tracker. Yeah. The Revenant knows the distance to and the direction of any creature for which it seeks vengeance. So it always knows which direction to walk in. Even if the creature and the Revenant are on different planes of existence, if the creature is being tracked by the Revenant and dies, the Revenant knows. It might still come after the rest of the party um, until its time is up, hmm. but it will know if, if it's lost its chance for a, for revenge. That might even give it a new target to seek revenge on, because if it's been denied vengeance, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you're an angry spirit, <clears throat> you're only going to get more angry. So I think revenants have a year, don't they? Hunger for revenge, yes, your revenant do. only has one year to exact revenge. Which you they think, do, yeah. Oh, that's not that's not great. That's not that long. Having been pursued by one of these, I can assure you, it's far <laughs> too long. Bearing in mind that even if you play D and D once a week, typically in a session you wouldn't have, unless you were fast forwarding time, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have more than a couple of days. So let's just assume you have, on average, one to two days per session. That's still going to take you three to four sessions. If you're having them weekly, that's three to four weeks to have a week in D and D world, um, which means that you're going to have to times that by fifty-two to get. <laughs> so that's if that's potentially around fifty fifty-two months of <laughs> weekly sessions to get rid of this. Maybe you'll uh, actually have the wish spell required. I think for the entire year that we we played Strad for probably just under a year, mm-hmm. uh, for the entire uh, we we didn't miss many sessions. We were we were a pretty good group for that. We're pretty we're a pretty consistent group. Yeah. Um, and I think in game there was maybe a month, maybe maybe a month and a half. Yeah, there wasn't. <sighs> Be, yeah, maybe a month. Like. I might even be generous when I'm saying it. I think it's probably around a month at most. Yeah. So that and that took us a year to get through. So twelve years of playing D and D every week to get rid of a revenant. 
yeah, you're gonna have the wish spell by that point. If you oh, do yes. it, you do it wrong. Oh, yes. <laughs> you either have it or you're gonna find a way to get it. Um, yeah. Uh, what I, what you guys did was uh, found a way to contain it. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the background, while you weren't there, I was still working on ways for it mm-hmm. to escape its confinement, um, or at least basically kill its own body trying to escape so that its spirit could get somewhere. Oh, but let's talk so about... angry. He's going to be so angry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's still there. Um, let's talk about its attacks. Uh, it'll hit you with its fists. It makes two fist attacks. Um, plus seven to hit, so it's pretty accurate. Um, five foot reach. It does 2d6 plus four bludgeoning damage, so it it's kind of like it hits you with a greatsword or a maul um, rather than a greatsword, I suppose, with it being bludgeoning. Uh, if the target is the creature for which the Revenant has sworn vengeance, the target takes an extra 4d6 bludgeoning damage. Uh, instead uh, of dealing damage, the Revenant can grapple the target, provided the target is large or smaller. Um, so you do see that with quite a few undead, like vampires and things can also grapple. Um, the Vengeful Glare, I liked this ability when I was using it. The Revenant targets one creature. It can see within 30 feet of it and of which it has sworn vengeance. The target must make a DC 15 wisdom saving throw. On a failure, the target is paralyzed until the Revenant deals damage to it, or until the end of the Revenant's next turn. When the paralysis ends, the target is frightened of the Revenant for one minute, which is likely to be more than the length of the fight. The frightened target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns with disadvantage if it can see the Revenant, ending the frightened condition uh, on itself as a success. Uh, so yeah, it, it's if you paralyze a target you, and you hit it with melee attacks, you automatically crit it. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that the Revenant is going to give its target, its they sworn vengeance to a, a really angry, mean stare, mm-hmm. uh, and then go and beat the shit out of it. Um, they hit hard. Um, and I think his his vengeance target was was it Woody, the ranger? I believe I so. He got the. It was Woody he and, got the kill. and other named NPC. Oh yes, it was because Woody was wielding the sword that I gave you, which was was the the NPC's weapon. Which yes. uh, that was a little bit of homebrew, um, but I decided because it, it was also bringing it brimming with the hatred of this this past NPC that it would always have a link against whoever used that sword. But to be honest, I did that purely because it was the NPC that ended up, uh, that was in the fight, that ended mm. up killing, uh, ended up killing Rahadin, which became the uh, the Revenant. So I didn't want to just have a Revenant that was angry at an NPC. I, I no, yeah, I, I, I completely understand that. Um, so I gave it that effect as well, um, knowing full well that somebody would use the sword. <laughs> But uh, yeah, they're a, they're a really good um, thing, full of flavour. Um, they're a good kind of early to mid repeating boss. If you're not running something like Strad and you still want something to keep coming up and fighting your party, mm-hmm. um, really useful. If you are running something like Strad and you don't feel like using Strad every time, then something like this can also 
could. be a thing that's chasing them. Uh, it could have been manipulated into a position where that person might have died. Uh, that Stride could have manipulated that event mm -hmm. to happen, thus mm -hmm. creating a revenant that produced the party for him, because that's something he would find entertaining. Oh yes, <laughs> as as uh, yeah, he he knew about he knew about the situation. He didn't engineer it. Uh, it just happened. He would have well, rather his. He was uh, always his, watching. Uh, he was always watching. <laughs> he was. He's Big always pervert watching. is what's is what uh, Stratos is, I guess. Yeah, I quite I I like Revenants. I've wanted to use a Revenant for like a long time. I never really got the opportunity to do it because it, it does feel very specific. You do want it to to target your your players rather than. You can have a story where it targets an NPC and it's a whole about trying to stop this thing before it kills. It's whatever, right? But I've always, yeah, I, I like, I even like, I like that little thing. And I think there's a couple of monsters that do it where instead of dealing damage, they can grapple. Yeah. And I like that. I think it's interesting because, like, I think is it vampires can do that as well or something like that. Vampires do it. Yeah. Or even the vampire spawns can do it because the idea is they can come in for the bite mm -hmm. with the next attack. Uh, mind flayers don't have to don't have to not do damage. They just grapple you as part yes, of the yeah. tentacle there, attack. There are some that do uh, that with tentacle attacks or yeah. is it pseudopods for some as well? Uh, I don't oh, know yeah, like the, the mimics and what The yeah. oozes and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah. I, of, I like uh, it. It's a good alternate option because some of the best things is just gr to grapple um, your, your target so they can't get away. If you want to change little things with something around the revenue, you can give him a weapon instead of a fist attack. Maybe even up the damage a bit if you're looking to make him a bit more difficult. Obviously, Rob said before, hit points can easily be increased. His, his role is go with a higher uh, higher number within the range or whatever you particularly want. You um, could even add flavor, different, like Dan just said, weapons, maybe even abilities. If you kill the original Revenant's body and the spirit goes into the corpse of something that was more powerful mm -hmm. or some a body that was a master of a swordsman and then could take on some of those skills because it's muscle memory rather than remembered skills as well. So it gains some of that stuff. I think that's a cool idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also um, quite like that... Um... It is something you could use theoretically to with your own players because I have seen it done. Spoilers for Critical Role Campaign One. They did it. There was a player in that campaign who died and came back as a revenant. And it the the whole vengeful tracker thing is an interesting addition for a player. Uh, it basically allows you to track your your enemy, your nemesis, and uh, it was, it, I think I think it was really good for them in that particular campaign. I, I since I saw that, I was like, what is a revenant? Because I remember seeing chat going, is he a revenant, is he a revenant, is he a revenant, blah, 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 revenant, <laughs> revenant, revenant, and I was like, what is a revenant? I looked at him and went, I want to use this at some point, um, so maybe I will, maybe I'll get an opportunity. That's not been in the animated show yet then. No, no, that'll be... Seasons away. That's um, the Vecna storyline. Ah, fair, fair. So in game, so you can give me the full spoilers later because I've not seen campaign one. But uh, we won't, we won't talk 
too much about the critical role spoilers on the on the podcast. Yes, we shall. But yes, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a great enemy. We've got to try and use it at some point. Maybe I'll do it in the current campaign if I can wrangle it, because there's room for it. I think in definitely in Fitz's world. So I def- with the, with yeah. the reborn uh, warlock or undead warlock, definitely room for it there. That I'd love to be able to do it because uh, reverence seems so, so much fun. I can think of so many cool things that you could tell oh, a yeah. character fits to do with regards to revenants or similar. Um, spoiler alert: My next favorite monster of the week is going to be similar to a revenant, uh, and you'll see why if you tune in next week. <laughs> I spent a long time looking at undead things. <laughs> I'm trying to think what it could be, and there's a few. Um, but we'll move on from from. Uh, our Revenant Boy to my Monster of the Week. My Monster of the Week is something I've used before because that's what I kind of wanted to do this week was go for something that I've used before that I've ex- that I have experience with and I didn't want to use something that is like a 20 plus challenge rating as I have a tendency apparently to do like because some of the coolest monsters are the really high challenge rating ones. Thanks. Uh, so this week I decided to go with the Afriti, or Freet if you prefer to say without the eye. I kind of prefer it without the eye, but I know it says Afriti in the stat block, but I like Afrit. Sounds, sounds right. Or if you know. play Final Fantasy, Ifrit. Yeah. Um, it is a large elemental, basically. So it's a, um, a form of genie. So you've got the four main genie types. You got your fire one, your earth one, your water one, and your and your air one. This is the fire one. Uh, it also is, generally speaking, lawful evil, which I also quite like. And it kind of looks like a like a devil and a demon. And I may have a fondness for devils, but it isn't actually a devil. It is a elemental. It is a genie, I guess. There is something called a gin, it's an origini in in DD, so not to get confused. Um, yes. It's got a decent armor class, so it's got some natural armor, which is always a great thing, which is really easy to give. If you're ever going to do a homebrew monster, you can just go, I think it has pretty tough skin. I'm going to give it a good armor class. Uh, yeah. Or it's particularly quick. You might decide to do that as well. Uh, stacks of hit points. I mean, we're looking at a challenge rating of 11, so it's going to have lots of lots of hit points. And more importantly, it flies. 60 feet fly. It does have Very 60 nice. feet fly, which is quite common fly speed, but it also has a 40 foot walk speed. But if you got a 60 foot fly speed, why are you going to be walking? Unless you want to do some sort of like dramatic walking through the fire and the flames to. Uh, <laughs> To reveal Sephiroth. itself, um, has three sets of saving throws, which I didn't realize, which is even oh, yeah. even greater. And of course, it has an, a, a fire immunity because you know a fire elemental should realistically be immune to fire. But what you will notice is no poison immunity. Interesting. Which oh wow. A lot of a lot of monsters do have when you start especially get into these sort of level monsters, no poison immunity. I wonder if that is the case. I've never actually noticed that. I wonder if all the elementals can be poisoned. 
I bet Earth just... or Earth, well, the Earth ones probably maybe not thematic, or even yeah. maybe the water ones as well. Um, not going to look it up because we will save those monsters for another day, for another podcast. We will. We will. Uh, it's got Dark Vision 120 feet, which uh, beats the Revenant with his mere what, 60 feet he had. Uh, so it's got 120 feet, but it is, again, uh, a thing of fire. So light is its, you know, thing. It speaks Ignan, which is one of the um, primordial languages of the, and it's the one of the fire plane. Obvious and only Ignan. And only Ignan. I have allowed it to speak other things, because well, how do you communicate with a party if... Unless they speak primordial, they're not going to understand. It does have the spell tongues, I suppose. It does. I just let it speak common. Like I, I like, would just let... Typically, I would let most things of intelligence speak common. Um, so, yeah, if it's got that whole... Like, it's got elemental demise. I mean, it just means its body doesn't stick around. Just what it's... Uh, it's equi- it just leaves its equipment, which you guys are awfully familiar with. Um, perhaps I read that. I really like that. <laughs> and it obviously has its innate spellcasting with things like tongues, enlarge and reduce. It can do three times a, three days each, three times a day each. However you want to phrase yep. it. It's got detect magic at will, which is great because you can't hide your magical stuff from these bad boys. And then it's got the once a day of uh, conjure elemental, but only fire elementals. Gases yep. form, invisibility, major image. Plane shift and wall of fire. I really liked when when monsters have plane shift because it explains how the hell they got to the material plane in the first place. That it does. Also yeah. allows them to retreat if necessary. Just the old uh, the Homer Simpson backing into the hedge. <laughs> yeah. I, only in this case, the hedge sets on fire. <laughs> yeah. um, it's also uh, it does two similar attacks, or it uses its hurl flame attack, which is kind of just like produce flame and then chuck it right it's but it, it hurls flames um for 5d6 damage as a ranged spell attack which is about it all now uh when i played it i also gave him quite a nice sword to up him a little bit because why not because it's fun again we talked about with revenant you can change oh a monster's weapon quite easily just change its damage type to whatever the relevant weapon is and a lot of time you're changing the damage dice as well. So you can adjust that. But I still had, a, it was still a, I thought, well, I'll give you a scimitar. It was a, two, I imagine it was a two-handed scimitar. I think we used longsword stats, I think is what we ended up using. Um, oh, I thought we used the, um, the the big scimitar, which is like 2d4 or something. There is the, um, there is a, the, the double, double-edged scimitar or something. Which I yeah. think is supposed to be like a scimitar with two blades. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Whereas I was like, it's because he's he's large, so anything he wields an afrit and a friti, anything a friti is going to use is going to be bigger, and you guys are not as big as it, so you wouldn't you'd be like dragging around this ridiculous sword. So I thought, yeah, just make it a bigger sword anyway, and it's magic, so it can adjust your size, kind of um, Lord of the Rings and the Rings style, so. It kind of adjusts size. It changes size, doesn't it? Um, yeah. But one thing I also quite like about these things, also being lawful evil, is that they have um, in their 
if you want to read their a little bit of their lore, is that they're they're slavers. I don't mean I like slavery, okay. so that's probably the really wrong way to put that. But um, I it gives them great motivation. Is that the city of Brass is a city of slaves, basically, which is where they're from, and they like to go out and look for those to bring back to work their forges or work the forges of the Azir 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 fire dwarves, basically. I do like those. Yeah. They're also pretty cool. But yes, I I I I like these guys, and I, as you know, I used them against you guys. Uh, to one of my favorite fights uh, was in that um, cavern where they had the portal, so the the the, the elemental fire yeah. plane was leaking into the into the material plane, and it was heating uh, essentially hot springs, making them hot yeah. springs. It was and a good fight. And he came through, and I got to use Wall of Fire, which was great. Separate a party with Wall of Fire. Yeah, that was... Um, I think that was pretty much the fight where I decided as Narakis, because before that, I used the Maul a lot, and I'd found it very hard to get to this guy. Um, and I'd, we were level 6 or 7 at that point, I think. No, I think we might have been level 5 or 6. And I was close to getting the uh, Artificer's um, infusion that gives you the uh, repeating ammo on mm. a crossbow. So I was like, actually, this would be much less of a pain in the ass if uh, if I could just shoot this guy. Mm. <laughs> so oh, yeah. That was the inspiration for him switching to crossbow. Obviously, when I had him, he had a few little extra things that I was allowing, like, I allowed him to basically miss his step, as long as it was onto, so, onto a burning fiery surface, he could he could move around it, and it would just yeah. give him that bit of mo- bit mobility, and to allow the, what would you call them, mobs, I guess, the lesser elementals, minions. the minions, to I en- mean, engage in the fight a bit more. He still, he still, they still have a 60 foot flying range, so even if he didn't have, hadn't have let him do that misty step uh, flaming ground step, I'll call it, that you, you yeah. let him have. Uh, he'd have still been incredibly mobile. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He just doesn't have to worry nice about big. opportunity attacks. That's true. That's which true. Can, which can be a bit of a pain in the ass, which can pin down your monsters very easily. If they're aware of such a thing, that is, of course. Because I'd experienced it, because I believe we did that fight after we fought uh, Sorad the Diva. The angel? No. Was it, it was the other way around because Saurad cured Beringer of the curse of this sword. He did. What, <clears> what, what, there was a fight that was like you pinned down. You would just pin, you people couldn't move. You just hit him because they couldn't move. He definitely, he definitely did it with Saurad, but I wouldn't have adjusted him otherwise. Uh, maybe fun. it was the big chicken. Maybe, big chicken was fun though. I didn't have too much trouble just knocking you guys back. Uh, but it might have been the big, might have been the big chicken. Yeah, it could have been. It could even have been the ambush on the road. To be honest, because you, I, two, yeah, I had two guys are based on trolls that you guys killed real quick. Yeah, that was a bit of a massacre, wasn't it? I remember that. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, Steph Stewart 
casting reduce on the horse that <laughs> yeah. one of them was riding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just becomes a little pygmy horse between his legs. Yeah, pony. yeah. That was funny. I remember it remind... uh, I don't know if that was... <clears throat> Not that either you or Steph would have played Elden Ring, but I can't remember if Elden Ring came out before or after that. Because it very oh, much reminds that, me of it. There's a boss that basically is this huge grotesque um, guy whose feet have rotted away and he rides around on his normal-sized horse. <laughs> so he looks like a, a looks like a giant riding a tiny horse. Um, and he's use, he's like he uses gravity magic so that he doesn't crush this skeletal. It's it's not a, a skeleton horse, but it's so skinny it looks mm. skeletal. Um, poor thing. If if Peter had seen that, there'd have been uh, riots. I mean, they're, they're always annoyed about something, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, it made me think. When I think of that, I think of. I think of that fight as well, so it makes me chuckle. Yeah. Well, we've talked enough about this particular form of a genie and his rosy red skin and spiky horned head. So he's going to disappear off my screen! And we shall move on to the topic at hand. Which I don't really think we we have. I think in shorthand, in uh, in our, uh, our little chat Discord chat, I've just started referring to uh, to it as idiots. At least <laughs> I did today, anyway. That's yeah. Topic. <laughs> I I originally suggested this as a topic because um, it's it's almost a mean way of saying it, but we mean it with um, as much love as as possible. Um, it's why it's good to have. Uh, in, yes, endearment. <clears throat> Why it's good to have an idiot in your group. Uh, and what I really mean by that when I suggested it as a topic is why it's good to have somebody that makes choices that you maybe wouldn't have made if you were being strategic or tactical. Yes. Or, so it's essentially or, where it's people who think differently than you do. And their yes, brains, yeah. brains work differently. Or what was it you phrased it last week to do with... Uh, unusual brain chemistry or something. <laughs> <laughs> Cerebral anomalies. Yeah. <laughs> In the nicest possible way. Oh yeah. It, it's people yeah. Uh, that make strange connections. Um if you if you're a DM you'll typically have someone that thinks differently to you in your party will approach puzzles in a very different way than you think about when you're making puzzles. But it's not just for puzzles, it's it can be anything. Um you know, we, we we joke about the um, player in our Curse of Strad campaign, Stephen, who played Goldie, mm. who <laughs> made a really suicidal um, attack on Strad really early on mm-hmm. um, because he just decided that he was going to act with complete aggression against Strad as soon he, as he met him. He was a servant of Kelmvor, right? So... He was, he was, yeah. You could say that he he role played that um, to in an kind of almost a typical lawful stupid uh, mentality. Um, he started a fight, but in all honesty, you know, if we if we break down that fight, which I think would take probably longer than the time we have left for the for the stream, but like that, what you would think of as as a, a silly thing to do because it caused his character's death. Um, it also caused the character death of. Um, 
of uh, Felicity. Mm-hmm. But it created um, a really good narrative. Um, Strad really took offence at the arrogance of the affront to the attack on, on him like that. Um, he didn't let him finish his monologue. He showed up just to have some monologue, um, just to berate and bully you guys a bit and gaslight you and threaten you. And of course, of course. Do all the things. He, as Rob, I understand why he was attacked. Look, I do. But Strad's going to retaliate. Um, <laughs> so, as, as <laughs> oh, pardon me, can't get my words out today. Um, but as soon as that, that attack happened, uh, Goldie's fate was sealed. Mm-hmm. He could go unpunished for that um, but then the way you guys played the fight out uh, some of you just run uh, you you took the NPC that you were accompanying and you ran for the hills there was also um, some children NPCs uh, involved that Felicity tried to save those children NPCs, NPCs ended up getting abducted um, which led to some really good narrative moments which ended in Steph in tears which was beautiful um that, later, later, yeah later, that was one of my favorite moments that, that mm-hmm. moment on the beach oh, um, right. and the other moment later with uh, with young freak <laughs> um <laughs> but just that that none of that was in the in the book because the the interactions with stride you can't write in a book that has to come from the dm and the players mm-hmm. interacting so collaborative that, storytelling exactly that that silly action that, yes, got Goldie killed and turned into a vampire spawn um, meant that Felicity was allowed to become a dampier because I spoke to Steph out of the game and said, would you like to roll up a new character? Or if you like, you could be a dampier um, because I had plans, which I won't go into because those might be spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, but So there was a good narrative reason then um, to drive for her to have drive to go to a certain location in the world. Um, it then meant that Strad had abducted two children and could use them as a bargaining chip um, or just to torment you or to do other things. And it really impacted every interaction you had with Strad from then on. Um, so it's not a bad thing for sometimes for your players to act like idiots. It is not, because consequences are fun. Like, if... How boring would it be if everything was just as predictable as you thought it would be? Like, you want it, you want you want something to be different and chaotic and bring that different energy, because everybody thinks it's the same. Boring. It's boring. And not, and we're, I think we're quite lucky in that... <clears throat> Uh, I don't, how do you put it in a really nice way? There are current group I would say is full of idiots, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody kind of thinks slightly differently. Yeah, uh, yeah, we do. Like when we when okay, it's maybe like well, six weeks before my brother's comes back in, and we'll be joining our current new campaign for a while. He's more similarly minded to myself or to you, so that that will change dynamic. But at the moment, I like that everybody's kind of it's a bit different we do and it, i think it as works. well one of the the other reasons that i added it as a, as a talking topic a talking topic is uh think of some of the times some of the other things that um stephen did with his other characters 
Mm -hmm. uh, it, it made such memorable moments. Oh, it does, man. It uh, does so. It's, it's some of the best moments. Some of the best moments come from, from those things, yeah, without a doubt. That fight with the Jin uh, that we were just talking about, I know you'll have been thinking about the moment that he walked up to that pool of boiling water that was <laughs> yeah. next to the lava and just stuck his hands in it. That you had you had you had audibly described yeah. that it was bubbling with heat and boiling hot and very clearly steaming. Mm -hmm. So nobody in their right mind really should go up and put their hands in that. Yet he had decided instead of asking and said, "Oh, Dan, can I?" Can my character see if there is a water elemental in that water? Is there any way I can discern that? He decided himself that his character would just go and dip his fingers in the hot water. Low intelligence character, like. though, so kind of, again, <laughs> kind of right to do it. He was good, and it, and it makes memorable moments. And it, I think about that because I think it could have been kind of cool if there was something boiling in that water and he'd gone over and discovered it. I just didn't think about it at the time. So you're running a whole different encounter. But that's like, oh, maybe in future I could do something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's it's one of those where almost Paul like points out something that you as a DM have have missed, um, mm -hmm. and you can see then you're thinking, oh, actually, yeah, I could have put a water elemental in there. That would have that would been cool. Um, but or he, as the players enter a town and and you describe it as having female guards only mm -hmm. uh, because it's a town that has a, a strange system of all the women are guards and all the men go and work in the mines um yeah the mines are far away so the men got to leave and so we, we arrive just all it seems to be all women and as we arrive while all the men are out at the mines uh the the player um asked I love I love that when you look back at it, you can see the men, like the mental trajectory his thoughts have taken. But he's jumped straight to the end and said, instead of saying like, "It's a little bit weird that they're all women. Can I figure anything out based on that? Have we seen any men at all?" He just went, "Are any of them pregnant?" <laughs> <laughs> you can see you can see the logic. You can see the connections he's gone in his head. Uh, it's a great, great memorable moment. I even think like I said we want to switch away from from Stephen, for example. We can go to like uh, when we were in the city of Stillfort, mm. right? And I created a whole NPC encounter that was going to do some pretty evil twist at the end of it all. But Marius, if you recall, Marius, uh, the yeah, yeah, um, which I, which ended up just being more of a prank on uh, on Rob than it was on. On, on Luke, my brother. Um, but the whole thing was like, I made it thinking that this would be the perfect thing because I think I know how, how how Luke's mind works. I know on this, and you think, he's going to love this, he's going to go for this. Instead, he was kind of in that moment of the idiot who decided to be like, <laughs> no, nope, I don't like elves. I'm like, you are an elf. <laughs> no, nope, don't like elves. I'm they like, always want something. That was his that. answer, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> they always want something. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, "Okay, that was a really fun kind of side quest, but related thing that I really wanted to. I really quite like the idea of you guys doing. I was kind of disappointed that you, you wouldn't do it. And then I remember telling you, and you're like, "Oh, you know, we're still quite interested in it in in him." 
because it was yeah. a clear adventure hook. So it was like, oh, we there's 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 some interest there. I thought I'm going to target Narakis instead. He'll be my target. I'll I'll pull well, those Narakis. Narakis would have just been happy to help anybody in need. So you obviously exploited that. I did. I did. Because I put him being bullied by thugs. And uh, you guys... I can't remember. Had, had he hired those thugs? Is that what yeah, happened? Yeah, he, he basically, yeah. What a little bastard. Yeah, he hired Well, he them. got what was coming to him. He did in the end, yeah. He, he, well, he turned, he mutated into a horrible thing and then you guys put him down. That was a great fight too, though. And that was, was a fight yeah. where there was some idiocy going on. Some sort of thoughts of uh, immediate of like, oh, we're screwed. I don't know what to do. Panic moments. <laughs> yeah, I was I, when when I was playing Arrakis, I was on the other side of that that wall anyway. So I was just like, I'm smiting this yes. little bastard. Yeah, you were fighting him, where the others were stuck inside a essentially a field of anti magic and boat, and <laughs> they were a sorcerer and a druid. Not great for them. Yeah, yeah, that was a, an interesting scenario. Uh, luckily, we took down. Uh, Marius, that was his name, took him down nice. pretty quick. Yeah, it was a good fight. I mean, I did stick, he was stuck with like the two melee characters, so the paladin and the barbarian. Um, and of course, I think you you were ranged by that point, so. Yeah. Because you, you were, because I remember the big range thing for Narakis was, uh, was in the brewery. That was the, the one, the time I remember. Yeah. Which was probably the next biggest fight after the fight with what was his name? Azir. Who? <laughs> the elemental that we oh, fought in the, the cave. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, or no, what was it not Azir. That's the monster. It's it was something like that though. It was. I went for something Arabic sounding. Azit or something like that. Yeah, Azid. Ah. Azid. That was it. Yeah, yeah. I had a whole long name that he liked to. Big himself up. He wasn't yes, that. He it actually wasn't supposed to be that important in the whole like, like hierarchy of of Efriti. Um, he just liked to big himself up. <laughs> well, they are uh, quite chaotic. Aren't... Well, no, they're not. They're lawful, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, um, and I can think of many other examples of. Um, I don't want to say player idiocy again, idiocy, because it sounds it sounds demeaning, but we're not. It does sound mean, but <laughs> in my Monday group we have uh, a wizard that goes by the name of Darwin. Very talented wizard, has some very powerful spells because mm-hmm. we are playing at quite high level. Uh, he's a necromancy wizard. He um, has used um, necromancy very well. He also has some nice magic items that are homebrew that buff his undead, um, but. I think Milton won't mind me saying this. He he gets ideas in his head sometimes. He gets a fancy to try something. Um, I don't know. I don't know what Milton whether you whether you see things online or whether you uh, just see a spell and see an interaction and you just really want to do it. Um, he got uh, obsessed with the catapult spell for a little while, so he went and bought a lot of nets. He went and bought. Bottles of acid and other kind of contract, like other bottles on their own. Like, yes, look, it wasn't a bad idea, but we were going against like a bail off. All right, okay. (laughs) And then we went, (laughs) then we went against a really powered up, um, 
it was like a what is it a, no not a white um a dread knight maybe the one that's like an undead paladin um um there's hell knights but that's not what you mean that's, that's the like one that's got like a a big crown helmet mm-hmm. um anyway the, it's death like it was knight? like a, a say again death knight death knight death knight yeah but like a buffed version of that mm. for like that's what we fought after the Baylor. Um, and those were tough fights. Um, made a little tougher by <laughs> the wizard trying to pin them down with uh, catapult-driven netting uh, and stuff like that. Now those those that would have it was funny. It was fun. Look, I, I didn't. It's not that I didn't like it. Um, it meant that Arthur, my warlock, was definitely the driving force in terms of DPS or damage per mm-hmm. second output or damage per turn output. Um, um, and and those those ideas would have been phenomenal against some smaller enemies. Um, when I say smaller, I don't necessarily mean in, in size. I mean just like weaker enemies, I suppose I should say, or like groups of enemies or things like that. Um, because the guy had things like psychic lance available to him, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he, he could. Fire <laughs> And he had some great necromancy spells and some other fantastic combat spells. Um, but he had an itch and he had to scratch it and it don't made a memorable fight. <laughs> I do not blame it. I took a net as with my uh, my rune knight, all big lud, big orc, and I used it once. And I don't think I've ever used it again because it's just yeah. the, the, the rules for, for nets, they have, they're a special... What special weapon, and they have some, and it's just bleh, bleh. horrible, horrible things. But that is definitely going to be a topic of discussion at a later date that I was going to mention to you the other day because mm. I know how easy it is to get you to rant about how bad spears are. Yes, <laughs> don't get me started on spears, bro. <laughs> the best, best martial weapon uh, in real life is yeah. always, always uh, noted as the spear, but um, but no. We'll stick to the, we'll stick, we'll, we'll, yeah, we don't need to talk about my ADC. Let's talk about other types of ADC. <laughs> oh, have there been any? Um, we've not had any real moments of silliness or ADC in uh, in in our recent stuff, really, have we? Uh, it depends on what you mean really and how, how mean you want to be. I suppose. Um, I learned that the, the character that uh, whose backstory involves a lot of B and E and burglary doesn't have proficiency with thieves tools. <laughs> yeah, or proficiency in stealth. So I I'm curious I I'm curious to how he came to the ideas that he did. Could turn out to be really cool. We'll see how it goes. But we're only what we've yeah. played two two games session zero two, two games, and then tomorrow will be our uh, be our third game. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Yeah, but I thought, yeah, we've had limited. I mean, we've had ADC because people like to make jokes, and we're and we're enjoying that. And yeah. um, we've invented things that I, the brothy know, like where you tell me that was a smart thing. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's something that. It's almost an offshoot from why it's good to have idiot players, mm. but, but why it's good to have people that don't mind just joking around in yeah, the session. It's, it's when you, you go, right, well, it's kind of a casino, but it's also got a bit of a, it's a brothel really as well. And someone's bright brain, the way people think, just put two or two together and go, 
Rothina. Yep. Like I, I can't say that's too different from you, to be honest. You, it's definitely something you would say. Um, I'm surprised I didn't say it. I know it was it was Joe who said it. So yeah, but it is definitely something you would come up come up with. Uh, so yes, that is a. Uh, yeah, you've got to put up with Rob's puns if you if you hear a Rob. So. Yeah, brings the humour, really. brings the humour, brings the lightheartedness. I think there there are things as well that are like I know you you made um, a shot out of it um, from last last week's episode mm-hmm. where I was talking about how uh, your players are always there's always one player that just will dive into that awkward moment of silence um, or this like a persistent thing that keeps coming back. Um, a really good example of that is something that eventually started to irritate me in Critical Role Season 2 was when they kept all shouting 9-9. Uh, I think it was like a, a Brooklyn 9-9 joke at first based on nine Liam's is what they shout, ger- yeah, yeah. German accent. Yeah. And it, it kind of ended up being why they became the Mighty Nine, and it's kind of a running joke. That yeah, because because uh, Liam O'Brien plays Caleb with a German accent, so nine yeah. means no in in German, yeah. and it's also <laughs> a number in English. So yeah, yeah, I see where it all went. It's just uh, one of those things. that's like a, a running joke, like one of the ones that happens. I know I do it a lot, but I also know that some of my other players do it a lot. Um, because of internet videos is whenever anyone says I'm making my way mm. just have to finish it with downtown yeah. walking fast I'm a seagull go fuck yourself <laughs> <laughs> it just has to be done like yeah you just have to put up with, with those moments but they do they do become memorable and they do stick with you um, so it, it makes good d d yeah even, well, even I, if serious moments sometimes I definitely would, cr- would criticise myself I can't stand awkward silences the, it, <laughs> it gets to me so I will regularly spit out jokes as a means to fill those awkward silences uh, so I'm definitely someone who, who, who has whose brain has to fill those those gaps uh, and it's kind of why it's more fun to, for me to play a sillier character or a small, or you know someone who, who a character who just does things doesn't think about them because you can just come up with nonsense to do. Um, I, I, so, I so much enjoy playing playing Lud. Remember yeah, because he can be silly. Because he he's a be. big, big dummy. He's a big dummy, exactly. So he's a big kid, dummy really. thick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's definitely a dummy th- Big boy now. Big boy. Yeah, big lad. I think, yeah, those, I think those, those silly moments, is, they're always going to be part of every group. Um, I'm reminded now of... An Instagram reel that was doing the rounds. I've seen it a couple of times last mm-hmm. over the last week, and it is a clip from a live play that I do not recognise. It's not one that I've seen, so I couldn't go like search it, and it wasn't mm. there. It wasn't their page that posted it, so okay. I, I wasn't sure who, where it came from. But it was a the DM was obviously doing a monologue mm-hmm. <laughs> with uh, with an with a. BBEG style character, I would imagine. Um, the context was kind of missing for the clip, but mm-hmm. um, they'd, he'd made it clear that he knew who they were and that he was able to read their minds. Uh, and he said, oh, I can easily just p- 
pick out your surface thoughts. And one of the players instantly just went, oh, he's got detect thoughts up. And then just went, dicks, 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 <laughs> dicks, dicks, dicks. And all the other players just went, dicks, dicks, big yeah. fat cocks. And like yeah, just started yeah. taking taking it. And you, <laughs> you saw this moment of irritation in, in the eyes of the DM. And then he adjusted and got back in character. And it played out well, um, <laughs> which is the best way to do it. Because obviously you, you've lost your monologue at that point, but it's a funny moment that will be remembered going forward, mm-hmm. and you can turn it into a. You can it starts a domino effect of how it will again going back to that example of Strad, how it will impact other interactions with that BBEG or that NPC, and um, it's just nice, memorable moments. Yeah, it's a big thing I'm enjoying and going to enjoy more with our current campaign being that I've built something that is largely just going to be improv from from my perspective and it will just allow that little part of my brain just to just be able to do jokes and it's a world that's silly because it's higher magic and it's just a bit wild and weird and uh, sort of Pratchett inspired as well so it's just that kind of you know quirky surreal sense of humour um, and I, I think I think you've got to embrace. I said we we call we said idiots at the beginning of this topic, and we don't mean idiots. We just we mean like embrace the chaos. <laughs> yeah. Um. Don't and and the lesson the lesson to to DMs is like don't get annoyed at your players when they do silly yeah. things or they do something or just because they've done something that isn't what you thought or they've said something that's uh, that interrupted your monologue as you said you can just kind of em- embrace it it's different if a player's going to interrupt the monologue with i would like to cast fireball and we all know who we're talking about <laughs> when that, when we're talking about you know who you are you know who you are um but the but if some player comes up with some sort of stupid comment because you said something that sounds well typically the way it works is uh in our part at least something will sound remotely like sexual innuendo and Steph jumps on it. Or you'll look at her and you know she's there. She's see you see in there, it's in her eye. And I think every party has at least at least one, if not two of those those I definitely know that my brain can go there even when it's me me saying it. Um, it's funny because there's sometimes there's a moment where someone said something and not everybody's picked up that there's an innuendo there. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you're listening, and I know I look right into the camera and I pull a face, and I know you look at me. <laughs> we always have that kind of moment, and then we just, I mute myself because I'm laughing. <laughs> so not, I don't always mute myself. Some of the best parts now, especially, we we, uh, we talked about last week with regards to like, you know, innuend- unintentional innuendo, especially when you're talking about names of NPCs and stuff like that. Can they just lean into it now? I literally yeah. created Morden Shaft as a purposeful joke of like it's it's technically just a mind shaft, but it's hilarious because Morden is a god and Shaft obviously is an innuendo. So it's great. I love it. It works as a joke, it functions as a real thing. Perfect. Perfect, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I like, I like, well, I, you know how I like stupid and silly names anyway. Oh, yes, I, I, I play Minecraft with you, yes, I am well aware. In fact, this podcast is named <laughs> thanks to your love of silly of silly names. 
This is true, yeah. This is true. Dan once came back to his stable to find his horse named Awkwardly Big Toe. Mm-hmm. And uh, it went from there. Friendship blossomed. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I think we don't really have enough time for another topic. We're almost at no. the end. So we will call it a night with the Awkwardly Big Dice podcast recording on Twitch. If you are not on Twitch, but you would like to watch us live, come over to Twitch. It's twitch.tv forward slash awkwardly big dice. Yes, it's awkwardly awkward to say. Why it's great. <laughs> uh, but you come over, you can watch us live. We record on Thursdays at 8 o'clock. That's in BST, currently GMT, once it's clock change. So British time. UK time. UK time. We record... Uh, alive and then it goes up on YouTube on the Friday uh, after I've done a little editing and then I try to put regular shorts you catch those from the bits of some of the better moments from throughout the podcast we're also available on Instagram tw- uh, Twitter as well check us out on there and of course as I said YouTube where you can subscribe to us like our videos we're looking to continue our growth as we both very much we enjoy. We are on Spotify. We're on Apple as well. Mm. I get emails occasionally from them, and they're like, you, "This is so many people have watched." I'm like, "Yeah, we don't have a lot of people watch it, but it's just there, so people have it if they want to listen to it in in audio format." Uh, and Apple's terrible getting any analytics from from them. Spotify is far better for that stuff. So I I see you few people who like to listen to us on on Spotify. But thank you for listening. We will see you next week on on Twitch for another episode of the Awkwardly Big Dice podcast. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. See you later. Goodbye.